and Tina Fontaine benefit from the current practice of jury selection? I'd like to ask Ingrid to come back up to, the, to answer any questions. And can I ask everybody to keep your uh, questions brief? Um, there's a microphone over here. And state your name and keep your comments brief and to the point and limit your questions to one or two. Uh, Terry Shellington, thank you very much for all your information. And I have really a, almost a sidebar question to this uh, about the Stanley case. Um, we, I would assume from what you said in the news that the jury was unanimous in declaring him innocent. Yes. Other, otherwise, it would have been named, called a hung jury, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we know that all 12 agreed with the decision. Yes. Yeah. Hi, my name's Carol McLeod, and I'm. Uh, I have a question on the preemptory. Yes. Uh, you said that um, the Crown Prosecutor uh, had used five of his preemptory challenges. No, the Defence Counsel. Mm -hmm. So, the def when the um, prospective jury a juror appeared in front of the mm -hmm. court, um, the Defence Counsel apparently perceived their indigeneity and well I mean that's okay. the assumption okay. I'm, yeah. and mm -hmm. then um, used preemptory challenges to eliminate those okay. people as perspective okay, so jurors. Did, did the Crown Prosecutor then? No. He and didn't use any? No. Do you want me to speak to that? Well I have another some more questions about this then. Okay. After the the preempts, how many people were left in the, in the people to pick the jury? I have no idea. Or how many I, showed up? Do you know how many showed up? Um, I think 700 were called and apparently, I, I believe something around 200 people actually appeared and there were Indigenous people mm -hmm. um, who made up that cohort of people yeah. from whom the um, jury was ultimately chosen. And then once, uh, are there just 12 people or are there 16 people Sometimes, just in case there's sickness? and I'm or? not sure, I can't remember if, if I read this or not. Usually my experience, um, having done several jury trials, is that the, jury, uh, the judge likes to actually impanel 14 people and then only 12, yeah. um, if there are 14 left at the end of the trial, then only 12 will participate in the actual deliberations. But, and that's done to uh, keep as maximum number of jury members as possible um, in case someone gets sick yeah. or is called mm -hmm. away. So yeah, that they do that usually as a matter of course these days in my experience here in Alberta anyway. I got one last question yeah. and I'll leave. Um, it used to be, now I don't know if it still is, but it used to be that you had no choice. When you were called up for jury duty, you had to go. Yes. And you, then you had to go and get excused for, with a valid reason. Yeah. Is there anything done about the people that just don't show up anymore? Um, they're, they're prosecuted or um, they, in some cases, if they don't show up, they go and find out what the reason why they didn't show up. So say, 
you landed in hospital that morning, they wouldn't take, yeah. um, you know, take action. But there. But somebody does go and actually, yeah. if 700 were called and only 200 showed up, or, yeah. you know, whatever the numbers, yeah. somebody actually does go out to those other 500 yeah. people. Yeah, Ooh, there, okay. that issue is addressed. And I know judges speak like when people show up late for jury uh, and paneling, mm -hmm. judges speak very sternly to them about their civic um, duty mm -hmm. and their. Um, failure to arrive on time, and it's uh, they have to grovel to uh, to get um, through that experience. In my from what I've witnessed, yeah. Okay, so you. I wanted to respond okay, sure. to because um, you know I thought a lot about the role of a crown. I'm not the crown. I've never been a crown except for as a student. Um, I worked for Alberta Justice as a student, so I did. Um, uh, prosecute some traffic court trials and, <laughs> and other trials. So I, I kind of have a sense of their role, but I've never, you know, really been a Crown prosecutor. Crown prosecutors are supposed to be neutral. They're supposed to not be for winning or losing. Their task is to present the evidence. It's, it's set out in, you know, in our law and our history. They're not supposed to, like, go for, you know, go for it no matter what. They're supposed to impassionately present the evidence and to, you know, forcefully make their arguments, but not to, you know, do anything to achieve an outcome, right? Like, we, on the other hand, as defense, have yes. a higher duty to our client and uh, express duty to our client. So I thought a lot about how, you know, if I, if I were a crown and I saw that the defense lawyer was trying to create an all-white jury, would I then use my preemptory challenges to knock off white people <laughs> to end up with the... So I asked some people that I know who are crown prosecutors, what do you think about that? And they, you know, they, because they see their role as being just, um, you know, ministers of justice, they, they just couldn't imagine doing that. So I struggled with that a little bit because I thought if the issue is about perceptions of fairness, would that not help to achieve that in those circumstances? But none of the people I spoke with uh, thought that they would ever use their preemptory challenges to undo the actions of the other party. Do they talk to all 200? Say if there's 200 there. No. So as soon as they have uh, the full jury impaneled, everyone else is excused. So how do they how do they pick who goes one, two, three, four? Uh, well, they literally have like a bingo. <laughs> so um, that that's cage. completely fair. That part is completely fair then. Yeah. It's not yeah. picked. Uh, they don't know who they're picking. It's out random. Of hat. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Ingrid, for informing us of the jury thing. My my question is, I've heard that there was not going to be an appeal in uh, in one of the cases. Can you tell us why that's not going to happen for? to get, you know, sort of family is not going to get justice at all, right? Yes. Um, it was met with, you know, a lot of um, dismay by people who, you know, had a, a heartfelt and um, impassioned view of this case. Um, so I actually, as part of what I wanted to present to you here today, um, had a clip of the um, chief crown prosecutor of uh, Saskatchewan when he gave a press conference explaining the reasons why the um, crown has chosen not to appeal the outcome. It is difficult to appeal the outcome in a jury trial because 
in a trial by judge alone, the judge has to give reasons, and those reasons can be scrutinized. And if his reasoning is or her reason is uh, reasoning is faulty in any way, or can be interpreted to be faulty, you can attack that. You know, in terms of an appeal, in a jury outcome, we don't know how the jury decided the case, so um, we don't have their reasons. So it's harder to appeal when a jury is used, but um, you can often appeal issues about how the um, judge instructed the jury. So if the judge didn't explain the law properly to the jury when he sent them out to go and deliberate, those are things that can be appealed. Um, uh, so I listened to his reasoning and um, what struck me and what I wanted to convey by showing it, and if you want to look it up, just type in global TV um, crown not appealing Stanley verdict, something to that effect, and you'll get the clip um, if you're interested in listening to him. But what struck me about what he said and how he re, um, framed his uh, reasoning was how dispassionate he was. And um, you know, he wanted to present that Basically, everything had been done as best as they could, and also was very um, uh, critical of anyone who might um, have, um, you know, criti criticism in their mind about how the jury deliberated. He th he said that that was disrespectful to the jury to say that what they what they decided wasn't you know didn't. Uh, didn't yeah. seem to be correct in some people's view. So, uh, and to me, what, where I thought, I where I thought he fell short, was in terms of you know this history. So you can say, well, this is what the jury decided. We have to respect their role, blah de blah. But in some way, I really wished for him to put it in the context of a very uh, long-standing history of academic um, court and, uh, and uh, societal recognition that our system is flawed and that the outcomes in terms of how Aboriginal, children, or Aboriginal people, whether they be um, victims or accused, is not working very well. Well, that so, just kind of opens the door to, um, you know, it opens the door to, you can just kill us off and you know you can get away with it you know that's that's the, what the community's talking about like my son Garrett Smith he's set up a camp in Calgary in front of the courthouse yes. bringing um, bringing these issues to light and he's invited the community to come sit with him talk about the racism behind all this stuff yep. the discrimination and then just have a talk you know sit down let's talk about this because yeah. it's you know it's out there right right so you know it's just it's just too bad that the family's not going to get uh, any justice. Right, and that, know? and I found, I was kind of affronted by the fact that the Crown in some way didn't at least address that, that, you know, feeling within the community. I mean, he can feel that he did his, his office did their best, but in some way, the pervasiveness of the criticism and the very visceral way that it has impacted Indigenous Canadians um, means that um, for many, many, many people, it, ha it, it hasn't been right. And so for him to just say, well, there's no, there's no basis upon which to appeal this and you should just respect the jury, I think was uh, kind of uh, difficult to swallow. 
Yeah, it has been. Yeah. Hi, thank you for putting a lot of things in perspective for me. My name's Dave Shepard. Um, I have a question about the Stanley trial. Yes. And um, there, there's a lot of racism in that community, historically. Yeah. And um, it certainly came out before the trial. And I'm wondering, can the prosecuting attorney ask for a change of venue? I'm, I've never acted as I a crown, assume so the defense lawyer can ask for a change of venue. Yeah. But can the prosecutor ask for I think just anticipating what a crown would say based on how they responded to my, my suggestion, maybe they could help to shape a jury um, to be more reflective of the community by preemptory challenging all the white people that showed up in a row, you know. Um, uh, they, I, I just suspect that most crowns would say that they are supposed to have faith in the system as, you know, how it functions and they would be loath to do that, to, to um, you know, seem like they can't trust the c local community to make a fair and proper decision. I think it w they would struggle with that from my experience. Um, yeah. Okay, thanks. It, it, it was actually, the, the trial was held in a larger community, like it was a rural setting, like some distance from, and it was in, the trial was actually held in a, a small city, right? So the, already it wasn't exactly where um, the incident took place. Hi, my name's Serge Manko. I uh, was wondering if you were ever restricted in representing someone in court. Restricted? Yeah, restricted. Like By a, whom? Whoever. No. No. Like I, perhaps maybe law society or? No. No, I've never been restricted yeah. in my practice. Well, maybe you've never come across it. Yeah. Well, I know of a, a former is... colleague of mine who was restricted to practicing criminal law. He couldn't practice um, family law. I, I don't yeah. know, but I've never been restricted. And I've handled all kinds of cases. I really, I, a lot of people say to me, "Can you? why do you represent people that are guilty and stuff like that? I mean, uh, if you're a defense lawyer, it's your task to defend or to represent people no matter, you know, what yeah. they're charged with or how, okay, you thanks. know, whether they'll be found guilty or not. You just do your job as an advocate on behalf of that person. So, no, I've never been restricted. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. My name is uh, Keith Chikmoon. Uh, I just want to uh, heed uh, Senator Sinclair. He was the one that oversaw the Osborne inquiry. Yes. And one of the things that he recommended, which I always, you know, follow, recommended is that if you see something wrong, you have to speak up again, you know, voice yes. your opinion on it. So that's yes. what I'm doing. That from what I saw, was wrong. 
based on the information that I was able to gather, right from the start, yes, things happened. The RCMP, I believe, in my opinion, they botched a lot of the evidence. And in addition to that, the judge, if you look back at the case, a guy by the name of La Chance, way many years ago, the judge was the lawyer for the RCMP that asked, the, there was another, he, La Chance, I think it was Leo Ch La Chance was, was shot yeah. in the back. In Prince Albert. And what happened there was, uh, just thinking he only served two, two years and he got a, they call it a protection program. So the judge was a lawyer for them back then. So you see how unfair the injustice that took place. And in addition to that, with all those recommendations there, you know, from my, in my opinion, they're just rhetoric. They're not taking those recommendations seriously. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, in the Delgamuk situation, Delgamuk Supreme Court of Canada decision, when it was handed down, I'm not sure which judge it was, was it was Lambert or Lammer or one of those Supreme Court judges, he declared that Aboriginal Indian people had a sweet, generous relationship. That the current judicial system does not apply. And he, he, he quoted that. So with all those factors, uh, you know, they're not, I'm, we're not, I'm not making these up. They're all on record. We, you know, I, I myself was not surprised, and I was not surprised that uh, they were not going to appeal it. And then, uh, so in essence, uh, Justice uh, Supreme Court Justice uh, McLaughlin, she made a speech a few years back. Canada is doing genocide, and that's what's happening. We are. Like uh, yeah, my previous speaker said that there's a, my, I said it was open season on Indigenous First Nations Aboriginal people. We'll try and use their system. They're not, it's not going to work. going to work against us, even though we had all these judicial uh, discussions. They're not taking them seriously. Now we have the the Truth and Reconciliation's uh, recommendations. I don't know what they talk about justice. So in essence, where we're at in far as need, I say need, sit that be us all across Canada. We are being victimized by whichever level of governance that there is. So going back to the, the Stanley verdict case, I read some articles. You know, it was very, 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 very racist and biased. So how are we supposed to get some justice? And in addition to that, I hobnob with uh, John Riley. I don't know if some of you may, if you've heard of him or not. Former provincial John court judge. Riley, <laughs> yes, John Riley and I we talk. Mm -hmm. And he said he agrees that there was just injustice taking place. Mm -hmm. And yet we are here trying to work within the realm of our our neighbors, we have treaties. We had the Royal Proclamation of uh, now we're having now we're having Supreme Court of Canada decisions affirming 
our existence, our rights. And that Justice Lambert said, Aboriginal rights are sui genera. So I look across the, all the lawyers, they're not heeding that advice. They're turning, turning a blind eye to it. So what do we have to do as First Nation people? We have to start, you know, like what, so it, it happened in a very subtle way. As the young lady said about her son, getting the message out, it's injustice. So that's, that's the, my, so my question to you is, if you could explain the sweet general relationship oh. Indigenous Aboriginal people have here in Canada. Mr. Chief Moon, I don't know if I could explain that. I'd have to have that Delgamook decision right in front of me. And I did, did study that in law school uh, 24 years ago, but I, I don't remember exactly what the sui generis principle um, stands for. But I, I do, I can comment that, you know, this situation we have now is untenable. Incarcerating people, like there are some people, and I've said this before too, who view incarceration rates of today as of as another form of residential school. So whereas in in generations past children were taken away from the families and and um, you know for the purpose express purpose of assimilation taken to generate uh, residential schools, now we take the parent away <laughs> from the child. And the, you know, the child has to be parented by someone else, sometimes in foster care or whatever. So the current system, the current situation, you know, we need to make changes. Preemptory challenges is just one thing. Better policing, better investigations, uh, you know, that's per was better child protection care. Those are particularly factors in the uh, case of Mr. Cormier, who was uh, alleged to have killed. Um, young Tina Fontaine. So uh, I do think it's untenable, and I think this is such a tragic situation to have these um, trials coming out just as we're um, engaging in the very initial stages of meaningful attempts at reconciliation of our colonial history. Um, it's uh, it's going to be tough. You know, there's uh, people who, you know, like you express um, how hurtful it is and how, um, you know, difficult it is to cope with these negative outcomes constantly. It's, uh, it's really making reconciliation that much more challenging. And uh, I, I am glad that my kids are insightful and, and have uh, hopefully some, uh, some uh, way of contributing to it getting better, but we need to make changes. And we need to make changes in terms of racism as an issue so that proper systems are set up and people have insight into the impacts of how we do our jobs, how we live our lives, how we participate in juries. Okay. Hi, Ingrid. Yeah. So my question is, and you may or may, have, may or may not have already addressed some of this, but I'm just gonna ask, and if, I, and if it's a repeat, um, I, um, the question is, is there anything particular about the law that it is applied in this case? that the makeup of the jury might have had an impact on the jury's deliberations. So are you, you're referring to the um, Stanley decision? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, in the Stanley decision, um, 
the, the lawyer for Mr. Stanley um, argued that um, his client's actions were accidental and or somehow justifiable. And um, this is uh, in light of recent changes to our criminal law. Um, it used to be, according to the Supreme Court of Canada, that uh, you, um, it was just not reasonable and not acceptable in any circumstance to kill another person to prevent a crime if that crime was in relation to property only. Um, and there were some um, changes to that law. Um, in 2012, the federal government changed the criminal code to allow greater room for the use of force against trespassers. And uh, at this present time, the state of the law is that force only has to be reasonable in the circumstances or uh, not, not proportionate or necessary, but reasonable in the circumstances. So the jury's task was to decide what's reasonable in the circumstances, right? So. Surely, to goodness, their life experience would be a factor, and that's been the subject of some um, criticism of the um, jury selection process and how it may have played a role in the outcome of this case in terms of the historical truths of Indigenous people in Canada, and in particular of the Cree, Plains Cree people who live in the northwestern section of Saskatchewan where this took place. So. Um, you have the reality of, you know, battles where people were massacred, um, indigenous people, indigenous people were hanged um, for their role in certain battles. Um, you have the reality that indigenous people who roamed freely through that territory previously were confined to um, reservations, and then settlers were invited and given 160 acres of land, and, uh, and the new El Dorado was declared there for them to come in and settle. Um, and so there's been this contentious relationship about land and occupancy of land and right to land. And there's some belief that you know those conflicting perceptions of the right to possess and own land are at the very heart of what was going on in this jury's mind, right? What's reasonable? Their experience, an all-white jury, might be different than the experience of an Indigenous person from that um, Sorry, we just area. Have, we, have, we have time for one more question. Pavmental Atherstone. Thank you very much for the research that you have done and the way that you've put together today's presentation on a very difficult topic. Clearly, the issue is the racism that is inculcated within our institution of government, institution of uh, the judicial system. Yeah. And I guess my question relates to how can we ask the judicial system, which is entrenched in colonialism, to decolonialize itself when we have um, uh, recommendations by Supreme Court justices and others, as you've mentioned, which are not followed. So how can we have the fox guarding the hen house when the justice system cannot decolonialize itself? Thank you. 
I think that was a rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good take. <laughs> yeah. That's a good it's, take it's home just, question as well. Yeah. It's too big, you know. It, I mean, I was really heartened to hear about how our local um, clerk, and I, I want to give her kudos, she has an Aboriginal person working in her, you know, as a clerk in the, until recently, you know, when you go to the courthouse, there are very few uh, actors um, of Aboriginal origin participating as, you know, judges, as um, sheriffs, as prosecutors. As you know, so um, this this is going to take a long time to recover, but we need to meaningfully engage in reconciliation, and and then um, work to improve uh, our systems and and decolonialize colonialize them and uh, and make them function better for the outcomes to be fair and uh, our society to be more just. It's, uh, I don't think it'll happen in my lifetime, but I'm gonna keep working at it. Thank you. Thank you, Ingrid. So I, um, I wanna encourage everybody to um, come to the next talk for SACPA, which is this Thursday's session.